Hey, he is risen. It was so fun just standing over here, greeting some of you as you came in. Like, I have missed you guys. And this, it feels like a reunion. So thank you for coming to the reunion. So here's something I want to share. I don't think I'll be long, but you're here. And when people are around, I start talking. And I'll talk a long time sometimes. But a number of years ago, 2005, I led a group over to Southeast India as a relief operation because there was this big tsunami over there. If you remember that, happened the day after Christmas in 2004. Um, it was the third largest earthquake ever recorded. It went longer than any earthquake that's ever been recorded. The tsunami produced waves that were 100 feet tall, and it devastated that area. 227,898 people lost their lives. So I remember being over here thinking, we need to do something. So I led this team over there, and we were going to do three things when we got there. Do a pastor's conference, teach the book of Romans. And I was really cool with that. I'm like, that'll be awesome. Number two, we're going to put in a water purification system because the tsunami actually lifted the water table and it mixed with everybody's septic systems and then went back down. So everybody had polluted water. So more people were dying from cholera than anything else. So we're going to put in a water filtration system. And I was cool with that. Engineering, water, awesome. It was a third thing that had me worried. We're going to go out to these villages, very remote villages, and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, that's cool, but here's the thing about Southeast India. It's always one of the hot spots for Christian persecution. So there's this group of radical Hindus that lived there, and I had just read a book about Christians being skinned alive and them trapping people in their home and setting it on fire, like a lot of really bad things. So I was a little bit nervous about going out into the unknown in these areas. So we get there, we start doing our stuff, and then our team was split into two, and I took half the team and we headed out just in the middle of nowhere. Like it's hard to explain the middle of nowhere in Southeast India. Off a road, off a road, off a road, off a road, you're just back nowhere land. And we're driving along in this old van when we come upon this giant group of people. And they're walking across the road. And so we stop. Well, the moment that happens, just my radar's up. Like, what is happening here? So I talked to Israel, our guide. I'm like, what is this? And he said, it's a Hindu funeral. And I thought, oh, this is not a place we want to be. So I'm like, can we get out of here? Well, we couldn't because the road was blocked. So our driver ends up talking to somebody, and that person said, do you guys want to come to the Hindu funeral? I said, no, we don't. I choose life. I do not want to go out there right now. But Israel is like, you kind of got to go now. They invited you. We need to go. So we all get out, and we're standing around watching this Hindu funeral. And, and it's starting to wrap up, and uh, Israel says, hey, do you guys want to go now? I was like, yes. The quicker, the better. Let's go. Well, as we're walking away from this funeral, one of the guys on the trip, his name is Jonah, he said, hey, can we hand out these tracts? 
We had these little gospel tracts that we'd handed out at other villages we'd stopped at. Can we hand out these tracts to everybody? I'm like, dude, are you kidding? How culturally insensitive. We're at a Hindu funeral. We're not going to hand out gospel tracts here. And at first Israel was like, yeah, that would not be smart. And then he's like, well, let me go ask. I'm like, dude, I'm leaving. I'm getting in the van and I'm going to drive out of here because this is stupid. Well, he asks and the leader of their group said, sure, we'd love to have something from you. Because you came and you stayed for this funeral and that meant so much to our village, we'd love to receive something from you. So we ended up handing out these tracts to everybody and they received them like it was some kind of ancient manuscript. Well, here's what's amazing about that. That seed, 15 years ago at a Hindu funeral, there was no churches in that area. Now there are dozens of churches in that area because we stopped, yeah, praise God, at a Hindu funeral and we gave them the good news of Jesus Christ. I say that because I've been all over the world and everywhere I've gone, people have funerals. Why is it that we have this thing in us where we care about a dead body? And we're facing some things right now in a country, right? Life and death. And we still care for the body of the person that passed away. Why is that, right? What is it that throughout the world, every culture has in them from the Egyptians mummifying bodies, no matter where you go, we cared for a dead body. It's interesting to me. So, let me read for you something about Jesus when he died. It's John chapter 19, verse 38. It says this. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night. So you get these two dudes. One's fearful about being a follower of Jesus. The other will only meet at night. John's telling us something about these guys. And they came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds in weight. And they took the body of Jesus bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. I want us to think about a couple things. Number one, Funerals write the front page. Here's what I mean by that. When you go to a memorial, when you're at a funeral, when you're somewhere like that, it reminds you and me of what actually matters, doesn't it? Everything else is kind of put away and you get centered for a moment on what actually matters. So these two guys, Josephus and Nicodemus, when Jesus was alive, they were secret believers. No one knew it. But when Jesus dies, 
all of a sudden they don't care anymore. They don't care what their neighbors think. They don't care what their boss thinks. They don't care what the boardroom thinks. They don't care what anybody thinks. They come out and they grab Jesus, grab his body, and they bury it. They go to Pilate. Pilate's the guy that put Jesus to death. And he was the kind of power-hungry guy that might just put sympathizers to death as well. But they don't care. They say, it doesn't matter anymore. We will go take the body of Jesus, and we are going to bury it. Doesn't matter who knows now. Not in night, not in secret, not fearful anymore. They man up, maybe for the first time in their life, at the burial of Jesus. But secondly, it says this, that they also took the body, put spices on it, and prepared it for burial. 2,000 years ago, that was a woman's job. Men did not do that. Someone's stealing your car. Hurry. <laughs> we can wait. Maybe not. Nobody? Just, there we go. Praise God. Thank you. <laughs> this was a woman's job to prepare bodies for burial. Men didn't do that, right? Like, dads, do you change your kids' diapers? I hope you do. My wife and I had an agreement with our five kids. It was simple. Finders, keepers. So I just never looked. Right? So these guys who didn't care about power anymore, they also didn't care about what culture said anymore. A job needed to be done. Jesus needed to be prepared. And they didn't care if it was a lady's job. They didn't care. They stooped low. Didn't care about power. Didn't care about culture. And the catalyst for this, the catalyst for this was the burying of the body of Jesus. Now, why is that? What do burials do in us? What do memorials do in us that, that it almost brings out the real us, doesn't it? You know that there's a prepared fake you and then there's the real you? The prepared fake you is the one that responds correctly. So someone criticizes you. The real you wants to strangle them. The prepared you says, well, you know, you're welcome to your own opinion. And we all have those two. It's in this moment when there's this burial that the fake Nicodemus, the prepared Joseph, it melts away and they become real. Why do burials do that? Right? I mean, what's the big deal about a dead body? If you just took science, the science of a dead body is simple. It's some chemicals, 15 gallons of water, some calcium, some iron. It's worth $5 according to science. Unless you've got gold teeth, your body's worth five bucks. But who would risk everything for five bucks? Who would risk their job and their career, their reputation, their standing? Nobody would because we know that's not right. We still have that thing for bodies today. The Marine Corps has a saying, no soldier left behind, right? They will risk living people to go back and retrieve the body of a fallen soldier. Doesn't make sense if that body's only worth five bucks, but we all know that's not true. That's not true. So Joseph and Nicodemus, 
They risk everything. What would motivate them to do this? Why? Why would they think it's so important for us to get this body and to prepare it and put it into this garden tomb? Well, they were informed by something. They had the Bible. And I'm just going to give you one book, the very first book of the Bible, and what it seems to talk about burial. So you have this guy named Abraham. He's really important in the Bible. So Abraham is the father of our faith. And Abraham in Genesis 12 was given this promise by God. Hey, you're going to have a bunch of kids, and through your line of kids, every nation on earth will be blessed. And I'm going to give you this land, the promised land. Do you know the only land that Abraham ever owned? It was a graveyard. That's it. The man who all these promises were given to of life and people and prosperity and promised lands, the only thing he ever owned was a graveyard. He has a grandson named Jacob, renamed Israel. Jacob has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. Really important dude. When he dies, he's down in Egypt. And there's this massive procession where they take the body of Jacob. They travel hundreds of miles with his body back to his grandpa Abraham's graveyard. And they put him in it. And then there's this guy named Joseph, really important guy. Saves the known world at that time. Brilliant man. When he dies, his bones are set aside for 400 years until the people are set free from Egypt. And those bones, after 400 years, are carried back to the promised land and planted in it. That's just the first book where there's this importance on these bodies. That's what was informing them, okay? So what is it? Why this funeral? Why this memorial? Why? Why do we still have this care for bodies? Here's why. All of us know this. We all know that we were created to live and to never die. We know that. I don't care what culture you're in. I don't care what time you have lived in. You know this body was created to live eternally in paradise. And there's two major ways to view these bodies, right? Idea number one is this. You and I were designed by death. That it took billions of deaths to create the human body. That's idea one. Idea two from the Bible says this, no. God got his hands dirty for you and me. He formed us out of the dirt, and then he breathed his life and his light and his love, his ruach, his spirit into that, and we became human beings. That life is actually a gift from God. If we viewed death as our creator, why would we have memorials? We should have celebrations, right? This is just making us better. But no one lives that way. We actually live the Bible. That's what we live. Because deep down inside, we know that we were never designed to die. We were designed to live, right? It's not Lion King, the circle of life, right? It's not, hey, well, we eat the antelope. And then one day we die. And then we go into the ground and we become grass that the antelope eat that our kids can then eat right? That we're just fertilizer. How 
helpful is that? We all know that's not what we are. That's not what we are. We know this body was designed to live for eternity, and death is an invader. It's a virus. It's a glitch. It's a fault. It's a defect, which brings us to what today is, is Resurrection Sunday. So let me read one last text to you that explains what Jesus did in his resurrection. It's 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, that Jesus lived, died, buried, rose. And here's what that means, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each to his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to him. Jesus is this example, this trailblazer. And then it ends, or I'll end this way, but verse 35. Some will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they have? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it's to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he is chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Why throughout the world do we bury bodies? Why do we have funerals? Why do we care? Because we know this. These bodies are seeds, and they get planted into the ground to come back as something better. What's better, a giant redwood tree or a redwood seed? These bodies are redwood seeds, if you would. They get planted and they come back something better. When Jesus rose from the dead, here's what he did. He defeated death. He changed death from the executioner to the gardener. And there ain't no grave anymore for all who believe in Jesus. That's why, amen, that's why Jesus was buried in a garden. It's not a mistake. It's not like, well, that's the only thing we had. That was God's design. He'll be buried in a garden because he's the demonstration that these, these bodies are seeds and they'll come back as something better. That's resurrection day. It's what we celebrate, all of us. And the, the best day on earth is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. It's like a tomato seed versus a tomato. There's no comparison. That's what's coming for you and for me. All that's evil will be made untrue, the Bible says. And Jesus' resurrection is this. It's the down payment. It's the first fruits for every believer that believes in him. Do you know how important that is? The hope that we have. There's this famous man. His name is Dr. Victor Frankel. He survived the Holocaust. 
went through brutal things. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meeting, probably one of the most important books written in the 20th century. He says this about hope, and I'm quoting him. Life only has meaning if we have a hope and a meaning that suffering and even death cannot destroy. I'm telling you, there's only one hope, that death, disease, sickness, suffering cannot destroy. And that's the hope that Jesus was the first fruits of a resurrection that every single one of us can enjoy, that cannot be destroyed. That what is evil in this world will be undone. Everything will be wrapped up and thrown in this place called the lake of fire and destroyed forever. And you and I will live eternally in paradise in God's presence. How brilliant is that? That's our hope. And here's the good news. It's a gift. You get this hope as a gift. If you have not placed your hands or your life in the hands of Jesus, then here's what's going to happen to you. One day your body will perish and you'll be placed in the ground. But you won't cease. You will stand before your creator and you will answer for every evil that you've done. Every lie, every gossip, every selfish deed when you took instead of gave. And then there'll be you need to pay up, but you're bankrupt. And so Jesus says on that day, what will happen is you will be cast out into outer darkness where there's gnashing of teeth and wailing screams. But Jesus would say, that doesn't have to happen. He would say, if you can hear my voice, come to me today and I'll give you life. And it's really easy. The Bible says this, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you shall, not you might, you shall be saved. It's not of works, Ephesians says. It's a free gift of God's grace given to each one of us. And if you have not made that decision today, there's no better day to day. Make it. You simply pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I believe. You defeated death. You paid for my sins. And you are alive. And I accept your payment and want your life to be lived through me. And that's what he does. And if you do that today, whether you're here or whether you're watching this somewhere, we want to know because we get to join in watering that seed and helping you grow and you become the person that Jesus wants you to become. And if you're here as a believer in Jesus, let me tell you this today. There ain't no grave for you. There ain't no grave for you. You're planted as a seed and you're coming back as something you cannot imagine and will live in this place called the Garden City the way we are designed to live for all eternity. That's our destiny. That's the hope we have. Amen? Amen. Jesus. That's alarming. Jesus, we thank you for the hope that you've given to each one of us who have placed our lives in your hands that you blazed a trail. You were the first fruit of this resurrection. 
that every believer in you gets to follow. That you took death on. Let it destroy you so that it would never destroy any who believe in you. And we are thankful this day. We pray for any throughout our world that on this resurrection day that have placed their faith in you, we know that there is a celebration in heaven happening like we cannot imagine. And we ask that we would be able to join with them and walk with them and disciple them. We pray as we go from this place, we would live lives of hope and meaning because of the resurrection. And no suffering, no death, no disease would be able to rip that hope from our heart. So go with us, we pray. Live your resurrected life through us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.